Welcome to Honey Do Me, a podcast that goes into the bedroom and beyond, hosted by Emma Norman and Cass Anderson. Here at Honey Do Me, we don't have all the answers, so we chat with experts, educators, and badass changemakers to get them. We are here to remind our listeners and ourselves that what we're going through is normal, that we are worthy of love and pleasure, and that we are all in this together. So tell us, honey, how do you do you? Light accent for you. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, you did. How are you? I am relaxed and well. How are you? I am full, focused, ready to dive in. I'm very full. Yeah, we just ate. Yeah, from our house chef, our private chef that we've hired specifically for Honey Do Me, who I pay solely in sex and emotional labor. Yeah. <laughs> Is it my fiance? Who's to say? Who's to say who I'm referring to in this situation? But I also pay him with sex and emotional labor. (laughs) So whose partner is it, really? Neither. Neither. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) today's a good day. Today is a good day because we're talking about talking about sex. (laughs) (laughs) And if you didn't get that, we talked to a sex therapist about communication. Yeah. How to communicate all about the sexy things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wish... You didn't say that, (laughs) but it's talking about good communication skills to have with a partner, any type of partner, Mm -hmm. um, good communication skills to have for yourself. Yeah. Um, how to ask for what you want, how to say, I don't like that, how to talk about your fears with a partner, whether that's a long-term partner or a short-term partner, (laughs) short-term partner, (laughs) short-term partner. Um, and you know, like what if your partner says that they don't like something that you did, like how to work through those kinds of situations. So I feel like it's a really practical episode. It's a really fun episode and you learn a lot of skills from it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And why did you want to find a sex therapist to talk to? (laughs) Uh, No reason. I have no reason at all. I don't really relate to anything in the episode. So yeah, which you'll get from me talking about all my personal experiences (laughs) throughout the episode. I really wanted to talk to somebody about communication because I have struggled with asking for what I want sexually. Mm -hmm. That is something that makes me really nervous, less so now, um, but has made me really nervous, makes me really uncomfortable. I've often felt like I couldn't um, because I would be judged or shamed. And I think it's a skill to build. I think it's something that takes practice. Um, Yeah. So that's why I really wanted to. It's something I've been working on for a while. I'm getting better at it. I'm not primo yeah I'm not a star (laughs) I'm not the number one yeah but why did you want to talk to a sex therapist (laughs) M balls people are gonna call me that now that's my hope (laughs) everyone in this household does (laughs) you the chef everyone um I wanted to talk to a sex therapist mainly because I have this fear of being too honest about sex Mm -hmm. life and where I'm at because like how you were saying and how I was like agreeing with you that communication Mm -hmm. can be hard. I have a hard time expressing then what it is I do mean. Mm -hmm. So it just comes out unfiltered on, you know, the other person might not be totally prepared to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Mean to be honest. Or my partner and I, 
I'm just going to say not partner because it's my boyfriend, my current boyfriend that I have. Mm -hmm. He and I are really good about being honest with each other and talking and like having hard conversations. But sometimes we forget that there needs to be softness around other subjects. Sometimes we forget the other person has feelings. Yeah. Cause we get, we do really value honesty, but we don't know when to stop. At that. what cost? At what cost? But I was really excited to talk about that with the sex therapist because I didn't get the answer I think I was expecting. Yeah. I It wasn't what I was expecting either. Mm-hmm. But today we have on Shannon Chavez. Yeah. Sex therapist to the stars. In Beverly Hills. She's in Beverly Hills. Not so going to lie. That was also a stars. huge reason I wanted to have her on. <laughs> but really, she was phenomenal. She gave us such practical skills to work on. Yeah. And great tips. And I feel like she just walked us through each of our issues. It truly felt like the therapy session I've been wanting. (laughs) There's multiple times where I felt like I should have paid her. (laughs) Yeah. So if she still wants to bill us, it would be understandable at this point. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Well, not hopefully, because I don't want people to have concerns. But (laughs) I imagine a lot of you have similar concerns to what Emma and I are going through. So hope you get something out of this. Yeah. We hope so. Either way, we're going to see you on the other side of the episode. (laughs) Fucker. (laughs) I'm gonna cut that part out. You're not. (laughs) Can we start out by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I am Dr. Shannon Chavez, a licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist with a private practice called Shape Center, where I focus on sexual health and pleasure enhancement. I offer individual couples therapy, sex therapy, coaching, workshops, all things sexuality. And I am in Beverly Hills, California. Wonderful. Would you mind explaining to us a little bit about what sex therapy is? Because if I were to like picture it a couple years ago, the first thought that pops into my head is Ben Stiller's mom and meet the Fockers (laughs) and (laughs) how it's like predominantly with older people and it's kind of vulgar and kind of like aggressive. So would you mind giving us a little explanation about what sex therapy is? Exactly. I would say that's kind of Hollywood's version of sex therapy, but what it basically is, is it's a type of psychotherapy, talk therapy, that focuses on sexual health and wellness, and that can include sexual problems, concerns. The majority of people that come to sex therapy may not have you know, uh, need for intensive therapy, but need more suggestions on how to improve aspects of their sex life, or they're looking to spice things up and they want some ideas, or they're dealing with changes in their lifespan and they want some help, assistance, information, and awareness around how to take care of their bodies. So I would say everyone needs sex therapy, but I might be a little biased. (laughs) I think that, you know, so much of it is education, coaching, learning about your sexuality from the inside out. So I would say the majority of sex therapy is really about learning and awareness and kind of filling in the blanks because let's face it, most of us probably didn't have great sex ed. Mm -hmm. So as adults, we're probably seeking some guidance and figuring things out to feel more confident about our sexuality and being able to navigate the world of sexual relationships. So sex therapy helps with all of the above. Amazing. So maybe not so much dry humping in a group yeah. as there was in Meet the Fockers. Yeah. 
I am a very big proponent of dry humping. I do recommend it to clients, but maybe not in a group. It really depends on what you're looking for. But <laughs> I love the effort of positivity in a group, though, because I do find I do find groups really valuable for sexual healing, though. So one thing that film did really well was show how sometimes getting in a group and giving yourself permission to be free and sexual and and let go of all the shame can actually be fun and healing at the same time. So one thing that I'm kind of wondering, because like Emma, I don't know much about sex therapy, so I'm super thankful for your explanation of it because I'm sold. Um, (laughs) Can individuals go to sex therapy or is it always couples? No, it's uh, that's such a great question because we assume when we think about sex, we're thinking about partnered sex, but sexuality mm-hmm. affects all of us, partnered or not. I would say individuals coming in are dealing with maybe body image issues or maybe they've had some level of sexual dysfunction in the past and now that they are single or not in a relationship, they want to address that. So if they're seeking a relationship, they feel more confident on how to address those concerns. So sex therapy is for everyone. And I also work with people that are not a couple, polyamorous relationships, throuples, you know, people that are in all sorts of orientations. And that's one of the reasons why I love sex therapy is you never know what you're going to work with. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it always affirms how diverse sexuality is. Absolutely. You know, we have such a big world of sexuality. So it's, it's just, uh, you know, everyone and anyone could use help and guidance when dealing with sexual health. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. That's great to hear that it's for such a wide audience too, um, because I think that's another little myth that you can think of that sex therapy is just for couples and maybe just for couples, you know, at the very end of like maybe a really hard time. Yeah. Like I think I've always pictured like, you know, a married couple who's in their fifties and things just aren't working. Right. But it can be, it can be applied to such a broad range. And I think that's fantastic to to know at a young age. So what would a session with you look like for, yes, a session? (laughs) You know, that's, that's great. I always want to build rapport first because I like to meet the person and get to know them before we dive right into problems. Cause I also want to see your personality because personality is such a big part of our sexuality. Mm -hmm. So I want to know you first. So that way I can kind of understand how some of these concerns exist in your day-to-day life. So we we build rapport. My first session is really an assessment where we go over a sex history. We talk about mental health, physical health, basically everything going on in your life. Even though we're diving into sex, I also want to know how you're coping with stress in your life, what your day-to-day is like as far as work and hobbies and family and basically just how you live your life. That's such a big help as as a clinician in helping understand how to build a good plan for, for sex therapy treatment. So the first is an assessment. And then when we're actually diving into the work, we're talking a lot about sex and I'm creating this really safe container for people to unload what I would call generations of shame around sex, questions mm-hmm. that there's been so much embarrassment around, and we just do a lot of processing around sexuality. And what I love the most is the teaching aspect, really giving people good information about their bodies. So I use a lot of tools. I have vulva puppets. Mm-hmm. I have 
models that show you different positions for sex. I have books, visual aids. So I think sex therapy is actually kind of fun and exciting, to be honest. (laughs) It sounds really fun. And I'm so glad that you said that your first initial session is a really big intake, because Mm -hmm. I think all of those questions are extremely important to understanding where a person is at. And those are questions that I don't think I've been asked sometimes when I've just sought out just regular therapy or regular counseling. And it's like, I think all of those questions are extremely relevant to our sexual health. And that's great that that's kind of where you start. And I love that you have puppets and things to show <laughs> sex positions. And I love the puppets. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I have lots of toys in my office. So if anything, you can come in and, and have a lot of visual fun <laughs> yeah. and kind of looking at all the toys and devices. And so, you know, I, I find that that's a great way to break the ice. I think with sexuality, people come in and what I hear the most is I've never talked about these issues before. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want to do is just, you know, uh, you know, create this really uncomfortable situation for people to unload right. all of this, you know, uh, embarrassment right. or all the things about their sexuality that maybe they're not proud about. But if we find something that we can break the ice with, it makes it a lot easier to ease into those conversations without so much self-consciousness. Yeah. If you're in kind of what feels like a stiff environment, talking about something that feels very taboo to you to express, I'm sure it would be hard So it's good to like loosen yourself up with like, oh, this can be a fun conversation as well as like exploratory. And she's here for that because I see her puppets and her books and her her stuff. So there's probably nothing she hasn't heard. (laughs) And what I would like to mention for people out there is sex therapists are certified and do a lot of training to become uh, certified and trained in, in all areas of sexual health. So I think that's important for consumers looking for therapy. Some people may call themselves a sex therapist, but the training we go through in this process also helps us uh, desensitize ourselves to different areas so that we can work with so many different populations. So I think that's really important to work with a specialist and to know the difference between going to a traditional therapy mm-hmm. uh, therapist or someone who works in psychotherapy who may be well-versed in sexuality versus a trained professional who's gone through a lot of their own work in order to be able to work with these issues. So I, I think that's important to know for people out there looking for therapy. And you wouldn't believe how many times I hear from people that I've been in therapy for years and my therapist never asked about sex and I can't believe yes. it. And it's just even couples I've worked mm-hmm. with couples and they've said, we've been in therapy for three years and our couples therapist has never asked about our sex life. And I just can't believe it. <laughs> so obviously not only a specialist will address those areas, but I do think it's important that we look at how people's comfort levels, even trained professionals, is around sexuality. That's why a specialist can be a good fit, especially if you want to dive deeper into these issues. Definitely. I know that my partner and I have actually been to couples counseling and we wanted to talk about sexual I don't even know like if issues is the right word, but just like our sex life stuff, our sex life. Yeah. And we felt so uncomfortable talking to this therapist about sex. We were like, we're not going to do it. We're just not going to talk about it. We'll figure that out later, (laughs) which sucks because like we were there, we were trying to do the work and that's a huge part of it. And the fact that we couldn't talk about it just felt like, oh, that's super shitty. Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that it kind of reinforces the shame and embarrassment that people carry around regarding sexuality. And it's confusing because we live in a culture where sex is, you know, widely seen and it's talked about and there it's used in everything from marketing to advertising. But 
we still have so much shame and confusion around sex. So, uh, you know, that just reinforces the whole message that we want to break around sex, that it's not something to be ashamed around. We, you know, we all, we're all sexual, whether we, we're having sex or not. Mm-hmm. So we want to embrace it uh, Ab- openly. Absolutely. And we wanted to also ask a quick question of what are some common issues that you see come up in your practice between you're not like specifically in your clients, but like just common themes. Yes, there's definitely a lot of common themes. I would say for individuals, it may be uh, lack of interest or desire around sex. So either they've been in a relationship or they're not in a relationship and they're really concerned about their lack of interest, either because it existed before and it's changed and they feel as if something's wrong with them. I would say that's the number one question I hear in my practice. Am I normal? Because I feel different from what society says I should be doing. So there's a lot of that. Could not relate more with that. So I'm glad you brought (laughs) that that often. (laughs) Yes, it's it's, it's really common. Again, there's these norms around how sexual we should be. And Mm -hmm. there is no norm. Everyone's different. Sexuality exists on a spectrum. And for a lot of individuals, maybe they're exploring their identity. You know, who am I as a sexual being? Am I heterosexual, pansexual? Uh, What am I attracted to? And sex therapy kind of helps formulate that identity and create a safe space to explore that. And so that's a big part of the work. There's also a big part of the work that really functions on mind-body work. And that's, you know, what's going on in my body and helping Uh, remove some of the mental barriers that are blocking that individual from experiencing pleasure or embracing their sexuality. So that's really my favorite part of the work is mind-body awareness and helping people break through whether it's trauma or past negative experiences and being able to reclaim their body and their pleasure in a way that feels good for them. Right. I would say my couples are coming in with uneven desire, and basically that means my partner wants sex more or less than I do, and how do we navigate that? How do we figure out what that happy medium is? So my job is to kind of help this couple figure out what are some of the barriers to desire in the relationship? Are there other aspects of relational health getting in the way of good sex, which may be communication, embarrassment, talking about your real wants and desires around sex? sex. Uh, I would say just a lack of language. We really don't know how to describe what we want. So sex therapy becomes a place where we find that sexual vocabulary Mm -hmm. to describe what you want and like. And I think also for couples, this is sort of the more difficult side of sex therapy, dealing with things like compulsive sexual behavior, uh, infidelity, problems with uh, maybe medical issues or health issues or dysfunction that actually leads to a, you know, patterns of, you know, out of rhythm in your sex life. So we had, we started out strong, but then we dealt with an issue or roadblock and we don't really know how to get past it. So they come in for some guidance on how to work through that. So I would say those are probably my most common issues, but I would say last year, a big theme was open relationships. I would say that that wow. was coming in quite a bit in the practice where couples We're coming in saying, we want to open our relationship. We want to explore different things. How do we make that work? What are the boundaries? How do we navigate that within a committed relationship? So I I thought that was pretty fascinating seeing such a big trend around couples, what I like to call designing their relationship to work for them. So designer relationships is a hot trend these days. That is so interesting that that was such a big trend, but I love that that's something that you can explore 
with them and you can help them navigate. I think that's awesome because that should be more normal mm-hmm. designing your it own is. relationship. It's empowering for a couple to say, you know what, these traditions and norms, they're not fitting for us and our right. lifestyle. And we can still have a primary relationship that's quote unquote healthy in our eyes and still get our needs met in different ways. I think in modern relationships, we put a lot of pressure on one partner to meet all of our needs. And historically, that was never the case. We always had different types of ways within community and friendships to meet all of our needs. So relying on a partner for everything is putting a strain on modern relationships. So when couples are coming and designing it in a different way, I actually encourage it because I think it helps balance out the needs being met. And also it helps you feel more independent in the relationship rather than more dependent, which can cause, again, strain on the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I love everything that you've said in terms of like common issues, because I think there's really nowhere else that people are learning skills in terms of like how to navigate right those issues when they're coming up. And I think because it's not openly talked about, people start to feel like I must be the only one going through this, especially, or maybe not especially, but as like a 20 something, I think it's really hard because you think, oh, in your 20s, you should just be having like all Mm -hmm. the sex and everything should be perfect. And then when it's not, you're like, there must be something wrong with me or my relationship or my partner. Um, You're not talking about the skills that you should be getting mm -hmm. because you're just focused on, you know, what's here and right now rather than typically I feel like in myself, I'm not focusing on building these like we've said foundation for (laughs) a good, healthy sexual relationship. So... Exactly. And and you said skills. And I think there's this idea that we're born knowing what to do sexually, and we should just kind of know, figure it out, I should know what to do. And I think that's the ego. And the ego is a big problem with sexuality, because the ego feels we, you know, we need to know what to do, we have to be too proud to ask questions and learn. But the reality is everything we know about sexuality is learned. And we also don't get a big manual that says, here's how <laughs> to be intimate. We have to I wish. I, wish. Yeah. <laughs> I think about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's so subjective too. So one of my biggest pet peeves is seeing all these magazines or books that say, you know, these top 10 ways to have mind-blowing sex, you know, it may work for some people, but not for everyone. So right. I, I think we have to figure out what works for us. And a lot of sexuality is experimentation and we need to be okay with that. Experimenting, trying things out. And sex is not perfect. It should be kind of messy and fun and exploratory without this idea of maybe Hollywood's version of sex. It always has to look passionate and perfect and sexy. It's, it's not really true. Not how sex I can is. tell you it's, it's not true for me. <laughs> exactly. Very messy. Yes, very messy. Very messy. <laughs> <laughs> you know. She, you know what? You get what I'm saying. Anyway. <laughs> well, we would love to just dive into all of that. And I think we really want to focus on communication and then, you know, break that apart. But we'd love to start out by talking about uh, some of the communication skills that people should be working on in regards to sex. That's such a great question because communication with sex, I consider it almost like a second language because how we refer to, I would say first we want to refer to our body parts in a way that feels comfortable for us. I mean, let's take just the genitals. How many words, actually I think I saw a study that said there's over 
364 different terms for vulva oh my God. throughout the world. And wow. if we think about that, that's that's a lot. I mean, I would have guessed maybe 15, right, 20, yeah. but that's incredible to think about just the range of how we refer to one body part. Think about if we called the hand 364 <laughs> different words. But Someone's bound to be genitals, confused. There, there's this issue of what we call our genitals. I mean, even saying the word vulva, we still can't say that on TV without it being censored. So the first place I start with communication is finding the language to describe your sexuality. Genitals, how you describe what your interests are, and that may take some time giving a client or a couple permission to say that. And what I usually do as a clinician is I join them where they are. If you use the word pussy, I use the word pussy. If you <laughs> want to use penis, we'll use penis. That was but... my next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no right or wrong. And what I think is so uh, sort of cute in therapy is people are so polite. They'll usually say, I'm so sorry. Can I say this word? Is that all right? <laughs> and, and so it's just really interesting to see how you know censored we are, even in our own language around sex. How comfortable are we actually saying these words? So I start there. And then I think the next step in communication is learning to be vulnerable. I think we've learned so much to censor our sexuality or speak in these sort of passive ways around our sexuality. So we start with vulnerability, you know, being able to actually say what we want. I really encourage assertiveness, directness. Uh, I also have these general rules for sexual communication. My first one is less is more. The last thing we want to do is give our partners or another person this very long narrative to describe something simple like touch me here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, directness is so much more effective, but I think we're embarrassed about that. If I'm direct, what if I... You know, what if my partner misunderstands me or I feel embarrassed or they reject me? I think we're so afraid because we make a lot of assumptions around sex that we end up not communicating really directly. So I really try to encourage that. And assertiveness, I think, is very misunderstood in communication where it feels like I'm being really firm and aggressive. But really, I teach assertiveness and sexuality as a really direct way to help someone else understand what you want and desire. And there's going to be a lot of variation for that, especially within a couple. So my second rule of communication is agree to disagree. If a partner is sharing something that they like or a fantasy, it doesn't mean that you have to be in agreement of that and excited or willing to do that. Fantasies are really just a way to describe sort of your sexual imagination. So we want to be curious about that, but we don't have to agree with that. And I think that's an important rule for communication because we share something doesn't necessarily mean we have to be on the same page, but can we hold space for someone to share that and understand it and ask questions without shaming them or criticizing them for that interest? And I would say my last stage of, of couples or general sexual communication is to just, uh, you know, be open in, in sharing things honestly and be and keep it up uh, even outside of the bedroom. So what I hear so often is couples are only talking about sex either after sex didn't work out, quote unquote, mm -hmm. or things were, you know, not satisfactory. So we're only talking about sex when there's problems with sex. We're not talking about 
positive feedback or things that went well, or, Hey, you know, that was really exciting or that really turned me on last night. We're only talking about problems. So I encourage in sexual communication to talk about it over your morning coffee, over dinner, you know, give feedback, flirt a little bit. You know, flirting is also a big part of sexual communication that I think is a lost art. It really is. We get too serious around sexual communication. We're Mm -hmm. so serious and technical that I kind of encourage more of a playful aspect of communication around sex. So those are kind of my general bullet points for communication that I think work really well with clients. I love that because I'm a champion of long narratives. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> so exactly I love what I was going to say. The directness because yeah. that I'm not good at and I know I make it more confusing. Like I know yes. my partner leaves the conversation and is like, shit, I still don't know I what to fucking do. Like, because I'm no trying idea. to like, I'm trying to say it and I'm also trying to like compliment, but mm-hmm. I'm also trying to bring you back to where you I You so good and you were amazing and I love this, but I didn't love, mm. yeah. and it's just like, it goes on like that and I'm like, it's I'm like sorry. backhanded compliments left and right exactly. and then he's just left. Like, of course, I don't know what the fuck you want still. (laughs) Right. And you see your partner's eyes wide open going, oh, my gosh, there's so many details I have to remember. And it's like a memory game. So that's why I always say, even in in my sessions with a couple, I'll say, "Okay, I'm kind of like a communication referee. Okay, okay, I lost you there. What Mm -hmm. is the point? Let's get right to the most important point that you want your partner to hear. So God, it takes a little time that. and, you know, it's good to, you know, we all talk in narrative. It's kind mm-hmm. of our, our nature as humans. We're storytellers, but with sex, it's just not as effective. We get lost in all those details and we, we miss the message. And then we mm-hmm. get maybe resentful at our partners for not hearing us the way we want. But, for not getting my uh, laundry yeah. list <laughs> of needs. But I'm glad you also said that like, playing a referee is kind of one of the roles you play because I always wonder if, you know, if you're going to a counselor, if it's going to be a little bit more passive, like they just kind of wait and let you both talk as maybe the couple. And then they kind of chime in at the end, but it's nice to know that maybe sometimes you can go to someone that'll like chime in in the middle and be like, both of you need to calm down. You're both wrong. <laughs> you're both need to like take a breath because you're, you're losing each other. And I think that's really great. I also like that you said flirting because I think flirting should be without your entire life in your relationship. I want to flirt with you. And I think flirting is so fun. And I think you should definitely be keeping it up in your relationship as well. Like. That is so great. I'm so glad that you enjoy it because it is fun. I mean, I don't know many people that say when I flirt, I feel angry or irritable. Nobody feels that way. Flirting evokes um, positive emotions. You probably get a little bit of an endorphin rush because mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, playful, risky, exciting, and we don't really know what the outcome is going to be. And those are really great things to kind of fire up our libido. So I, I would absolutely encourage flirting. Definitely. And what are some conversations you think that partners should be having regarding sex? Like, I'm always curious if, you know, talking about maybe your fears would really help, like fears of like maybe not being good so much at this or like, I really don't like the way I look in this position. So maybe fears or expectations around sex. Are those good conversations to be having with your partner? Absolutely both. So fears, because let's face it, we all have some fears or insecurities when it comes to sex either related to, like you said, our body image or the way we're, we're seen sexually or even our own uh, insecurities or inadequacies about our, our sexual performance. So if we can talk about that and normalize it within a relationship, we'll realize that it, it's common and we can work through it rather than letting it be a barrier to pleasure. 
Because I see that being such a big part of avoiding sex. I don't want to really deal with that or I don't know how to deal with it. So I'm just going to abstain from sex. And why deny yourself pleasure and connection? Because it's such an important part of our wellness. So talking about fears. And then you mentioned expectations. I think that's a very important topic that what I find most couples never talk about that. They never talk about what are the expectations around frequency or quality of sex or the things that we actually think should be happening in our relationship. And I think the fear, there's also fear around expectations. You know, what if we have two completely different ends of the spectrum of what we want sexually and we might not be compatible? I think that's such a big fear I hear often is compatibility leads to avoidance of communication, and then we don't get anywhere addressing these problems. So I think it's good to talk about expectations. And especially in a, for example, heterosexual relationship, maybe there are very unrealistic expectations about what a man should be doing, what a woman should be doing. And so if you can kind of flush through that with a partner and get on the same page, it actually helps relieve a lot of the anxiety around sex. So it can be a really great conversation to have. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the other piece that's good to talk about is just the changes that our sexuality goes through constantly. I mean, one thing I remind people is that our sexuality changes on a daily basis, and that can be due to hormones, what we're eating, how we're sleeping, our lifestyle choices. So I think if couples can talk about that, it also will normalize maybe some of the concerns coming up, like lack of desire or interest or changes in libido. And that way it's, it's just easier to navigate those conversations rather than putting them off for too long. That's another issue I see in my practice is people put this off for years and years and then it becomes even harder to address them because of all that distance in time that's gone by. So I encourage those concerns to be part of that conversation on a regular basis. I I really like that your points that you're bringing up. And I also, I'm wondering how, I'm trying to phrase this right. So what if you're having these conversations, but you know you're not really getting to a solution? Um, is it still good to just like keep having these conversations, even if you both know, <laughs> can you tell this is... Co- <laughs> Not for at all from experience. But Ask me for a friend. For yes. a friend. <laughs> but where you, you, it feels good to have these conversations about, you know, your fears or expectations, but you know that every conversation really isn't taking you to a solution. So mm-hmm. is it still healthy to keep having these conversations, even if you don't really have the answers at the end? Well, that's what I would kind of think about. Is it really about finding answers? Sometimes we just need to validate each other's experience. And Mm -hmm. it may not be about, again, agreeing or coming to a solution. But when it is about solving a problem, let's think about a specific issue. You know, we need we want to have more connection in our relationships. We're actually looking for how we get there. And if you find yourself disagreeing, I I would kind of look at and be aware of why that's happening. Are are you getting defensive when you're hearing what your partner has to say? Or are you feeling, is there some self-criticism coming up where if a partner's sharing a concern, we're feeling responsible for that or attacked in some way? So I would say to bring some mindfulness into communication and know what's coming up. And so if we can be aware of that, it may help with the vulnerability to say, wow, you know what, I'm feeling a little bit activated by this, or there's something about what you're saying that makes me feel that you're blaming me for this. And at least it can help kind of move the conversation into a better place and and know where you get stuck. And, And I think we don't really know 
where we get stuck and see the patterns around communication, but I imagine it's pretty similar in different areas. So if you get stuck when it comes to making decisions, because there's, you know, maybe a gridlock around, you know, who's right and who's wrong, then I would call that kind of a power struggle that you want to get through. And and sometimes you may need outside assistance, but other times it's just taking a different turn and being aware of where that problem exists. Mm -hmm. I like thinking about it as focusing on other parts of the conversation, like being a little bit more mindful about how you're responding to the conversation. I think that's good advice. Thank you. I'll, I'll pay you later. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> well, you know, communication can get very uh, unconscious very fast, which means sometimes this is the most common thing I see with couples. They're very reactive. So instead of actually listening to what their partner's saying, in their mind, they're thinking of their response to react to what they're saying, but they're not really understanding their partner's message. And that's why I mentioned ego earlier, because we are that's the defensiveness. Well, I don't agree with that, so I'm coming up with my reason why I don't agree to build this case, almost like we're two lawyers building a case to prove to you all the reasons why I don't agree with that or you're wrong. And that's really not the purpose of communication. Mm-hmm. I think there's always two perspectives. So I, I would say that the majority of couples are disagreeing more than they're agreeing. And that to me is a healthy relationship because you're not the same mind. So there's Mm -hmm. always going to be two different ways to look at it. But can we be open to that without challenging our partners and saying, no, you're wrong, or you need to think of it like I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an area where I see people get stuck quite often. Well, if disagreeing is healthy, then I am thriving. I'm in the best relationship of my life. I this told my husband that too, and he was very relieved. I go, we're actually doing it right. Oh, so. thank God. <laughs> I would love to know if you have any tips. Um, I'm sure most of this already applies to people who aren't in long-term relationships, um, but maybe for people who are single or just you know engaging in short-term relationships, are there any specific communication tips that you would give to them? Because I know... Like I'm in a long-term relationship and so I have a lot of time to talk to my partner about (laughs) these things. But if you're, you know, just going to see somebody for one night, you don't have quite as much time to express. But you want to get your needs met. Do you have any tips for that? I do, because I think we kind of look at casual relationships as not really a place to explore intimate communication, but I I completely disagree with that. I think even if it's a one-night encounter or someone that you're seeing casually, there's still a lot of intimacy going on. You still Mm -hmm. have to talk about boundaries, safe sex, uh, what you're okay with and not okay with, what are, again, the parameters of what you're interested in doing. So I don't think we want to think of it only as something that we experience with, you know, committed long-term relationships, but always opportunities to practice intimacy. So being vulnerable and again, all those tips, directness, being very, uh, you know, really communicating for understanding. So we don't want to use any of this sort of passive language. And also remember that we practice communication in every relationship, even friendships. So I, I usually encourage my single clients to practice all of these skills, even with friendships. I think that's a great place to be, again, direct and open and vulnerable. So I encourage people to just practice these skills with anyone you're coming into contact with so that it becomes almost like second nature, like a muscle you're building. So it's, it's, it's easier to, to uh, initiate these type of conversations and it doesn't just seem like this, this uh, separate you know, box that we have for, for more 
uh, intimate relationships that maybe are more partnered. So that's usually my tip is, is practice these skills with anyone and that will make it much easier to, uh, to use them in, in any type of relationship. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic tip. I wish that's something that, which I'm glad I know now, but when I wasn't in a relationship and that was something I could have been practicing because I am someone that really, really has a lot of emotion behind sex. And even when I was having, like I would have sex with people I wasn't in a relationship with, but that would still mean a lot to me. And sometimes I wasn't getting the support or the good time that I thought I signed up for. (laughs) And so learning how to have those like good communication skills, I wish that was something I could have practiced because I would have used the hell out of them a couple of times. That's great. I mean, and I think, again, the rules that we have in our culture, right? We have these sort of unspoken rules of, you know, you don't have those types of serious conversations unless you are in a committed relationship, but that's absolutely not true. You know, any, anyone that you're sharing your body with and that you're experiencing such a deep connection, you should be having those conversations. You, you, it's obviously a way to, again, deepen your connection, even if it is casual, it's important for also your self-empowerment to take care of yourself. It's a, it's a form of self-care. So I absolutely encourage it. Definitely. agree more. And I think this question kind of leads off of that. You've alluded to how, or you've stated (laughs) um, how shame can be really wrapped up in sex. And, um, you know, most people don't receive an adequate sexual education. So what if you're nervous or uncomfortable talking about sex in the first place? Like, how do you start to work through those feelings? Well, you know, I first would invite that in because who isn't nervous talking about something so personal that we've heard probably our whole lives that should be private, that you don't talk about. So I I would just normalize nervousness. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about it, but it's something that you can work through. So I would just say start slow and, and we kind of build up. And just like anything, the biggest way to overcome shame is by talking about it. So even if you're in a group, and this is why I think groups are so healing, is you can hear someone else's story or someone else, else's experience and you can say, oh, that's, those are, that's my experience. So you already feel a sense of of connection and, uh, you know, understanding from someone else. So I I would say, you know, we just want to start slow in that no one's perfect at talking about sex, not even me as a clinician who's been doing this for years and years, you know, there's still things we learn and need to know. So uh, nobody needs to be perfect when talking about these things. Yeah, I think for my partner and I, like, it's something that we struggled a lot with in the beginning. And I you know, it still comes up every now and then. Um, we've been together four years, so it's gotten a lot better. But <laughs> it, I think a lot of that stems from I had a lot of like shame wrapped up in sex and he had a really shitty sex education as in no sex education. He was opted mm-hmm. out of it. Um, and so I think all of that led to us just not having the words for it and not feeling safe to do that. And on top of that, like the first time that we really had like a what I feel like was a truly beneficial conversation. We were reading this book called Eight Dates. I think it's by John Gottman. Um, but oh, yes. the I think the fourth date was to talk about sex and you had to do it naked. So we <laughs> did it. And that was truly like one of the best conversations about sex that we've ever had. And it 
I don't know. I don't know if it made us more vulnerable <laughs> because we're like, we're naked. I can see your, I can see your wiener. So <laughs> you gotta be honest. <laughs> you gotta be honest. Um, but I know that like nerves and shame have been struggles that we've really had to work through and just kind of, we didn't really go slow, I guess, in getting <laughs> through those issues, but. But you know, that's good. I, I mean, maybe that's why they call it the bare naked truth because you just kind of get right <laughs> down to your most we vulnerable. We did that. <laughs> and, you know, again, that it, it, sometimes you need that little bit of a push though. Cause I also know that sometimes if you're kind of slowly creeping in, we can get a little too comfortable there. And mm-hmm. so sometimes challenging yourself to be even more vulnerable kind of pushing the limits can be a good thing and it can help you break through those barriers much more easily. And I love the fact that you did it together. So you're both doing this thing that you haven't done before. And that's why I think exploring sex is so great for couples, because if you're both doing it for the first time together, there's no judgment or, you know, fear that, you know, I'm going to feel embarrassed or I won't know what to do because you're both doing it together. So you have that support already built into whatever activity you're trying out. Exactly. And I think for us, it was a little easier because it was like somebody else was telling us to do it versus me just coming in and being like, we're going to get naked naked and we're going to (laughs) talk. It's like someone else thinks it's a good idea. Accountability from another place. That makes a lot of sense. Which is why sex therapy is so awesome. (laughs) I imagine. I imagine. Exactly. (laughs) So are there any forms of like nonverbal communication that are good to implement um, with a partner? Yes, actually. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up because nonverbal communication is such a big part of sex. And we want to pay attention to body language, especially when it comes to telling a partner what feels good for us. I have this one technique called the handwriting technique. So you actually put your hand, your partner's hand on top of your hand, and then you use your hand to show your partner the type of pleasure that you like as far as touch. And that may be pressure for touch, the way you use your hand to touch your body and your partner's just kind of writing that hand, learning about your touch preferences through more of a sensual form of touch communication rather than, you know, go left, harder here, more mm-hmm. this. And, and so it kind of helps, I think, get us into right brain activation, which is more of that emotional brain and, and what we call limbic resonance. Where we're really connecting with someone more energetically through body rather than thinking about it. I think that's such a big barrier for sex as we overthink it. We're thinking too much about what's going to happen rather than what's actually happening in the moment. So things like the handwriting technique or, again, nonverbal cues, sometimes I'll actually just have people pay attention to how your partner's breathing in their body as you're touching them, as you're pleasuring their bodies. And so that also helps people pay attention to arousal changes and just different states of change throughout sex rather than focusing on just what we think we need to focus on you know, the point of arousal or erection and release and orgasm. I mean, those things to me are just sort of side effects of good pleasure. They don't really need to be the focus of sex. So nonverbal cues become a good way for people to be more mindful and aware of of what's happening during sex rather than, uh, again, these scripts of what is going to happen or what's anticipating what's going to happen uh, next and and keeps you kind of anchored in the present, which helps sex be much more enjoyable. It also helps us let go of goals around sex. So I think nonverbal becomes a good way to 
yeah, just pay attention to what your, your partner's body is doing. And I, I use this with partners too that say, I don't know what my partner likes. And I'll say, well, look at your partner's body while you're experimenting with different types of activities or touch or pleasuring or if you're using devices and see how their body responds. You're, the body will let you know whether or not a partner is enjoying something. Definitely. I mean, I've done the handwriting thing once, but it was more out of a, oh, you're not doing it right. And less of like a, this is what I like, honey. <laughs> yeah, but I really like um, that idea of like guiding and kind of getting back into your body because I definitely have a tendency to get in my mind, especially if maybe like at a point in our relationship, maybe sex isn't, you know, the top priority. So then every time we're having it, maybe it's I'm just in my like in my head. And so getting back into my body and like in a pleasurable way, instead of uh, slapping the hand no over here type of a way, I think that's, that's a great form of nonverbal communication that can be like intimate too. So it's, it's just building. It is exactly. And I don't know if you've ever done mutual masturbation. So I think that's also a great exercise in vulnerability, nonverbal communication, and it teaches you so much about your partner's pleasure. So mutual masturbation would be I'm pleasuring my body and my partner is observing me pleasuring my body so they can learn how I enjoy pleasuring my own body. And that may be the types of touch I'm using. If I'm using a device, the pressure, the stroking, all the different aspects so that they can understand uh, understand it from a different perspective by watching rather than hearing. So it's just a different way for us to learn and retain information. And it's kind of exciting because if you think about it, I'm sure most people have never let anyone see them masturbate. And sometimes yep. my couples will look at me mortified when I suggest it. <laughs> what, you want me to actually show my partner, you know, how I pleasure my body? And once they kind of break through that, they it ends up being such a great exercise because they learn so much and it also creates an ease and comfort around masturbation, a topic that also yeah. can be uncomfortable for couples to talk about. I think that's what I was going to say is if I'm being honest, when I think about the idea of mutual masturbation, I get super nervous and I'm like, nope, not yeah. going to do that one. That one's not for me. <laughs> so is your recommendation just to like jump in and do it? Is there any like working your way up to that? <laughs> Yes, actually, there is working your way. Wonderful. Maybe you Thank you. Thank God. Maybe you start clothed and you just kind of touch your body and caress your body in different ways. Maybe you focus on other parts of the body before breasts and genitals so it doesn't feel overly sexual or I'm actually putting on a performance. But mm -hmm. it can be, you know, just this is how I touch my body. These are the parts of my body that feel good to touch. And it can be kind of playful. And I would say then work your way up to genital touch and, and start with massage. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm trying to evoke an orgasm right now, but it's more of I'm showing my partner how I touch my own body. And so if we think about touch and the body and start from your head all the way down to your toes and, and just explore different ways that you enjoy self-pleasure. Yeah, I love that advice because we've heard about mutual masturbation from a few people and a few people have talked to us, but... Every time I'm like, mm. yeah, it feels like a point from like, oh, I have a problem. Okay, mutual math. I was like, well, that was from <laughs> zero to 100 real quick. <laughs> I love that you said though. What are some baby steps? Because obviously we don't want to shock ourselves into, you know, doing something and now we're completely mortified or embarrassed. You know, yeah. start slow and kind of have fun with it. If you're not having fun with mutual masturbation, move on. That's mm -hmm. my advice too. You, know, you shouldn't be scared the whole time. <laughs> 
Don't just let yourself be petrified the entire time. That's a good idea. Exactly. Just kind of build up to it for sure. So this question comes kind of off of conversation that we had earlier about your fears, expectations, kind of everything in the bedroom with your partner. But I also want to know, is there a point that you can be too honest? Like, is there a point that you just need to kind of either stop and it'll be either hurtful to your relationship or your other, the other person in your partnership? Is there just such a thing as being too honest? Because I'm going to say yes. <laughs> and I would love to know if you disagree. <laughs> no, actually, I agree. Yes, because I always ask or anyone who's in a communication dynamic with a partner or friendship, whatever it may be, what is your intention? Obviously, we can say we can just have kind of blurred everything out and say, well, I was honest. Great. Good for me. But what is your intention? What are you trying to get out of that conversation? So if we're just sharing everything just for our own benefit, so we feel that relief of honesty and we know it may be hurtful for a partner, we're not thinking about how our partner may be receiving or understanding that information. And I don't think it's very mindful communication. So that's my number one uh, goal is, you know, make sure you have an intention. If we're just going in talking and just all our conversation is all over the place and it's messy, it's not really helpful for ourselves or our partner. So I would say, yes, I definitely agree with that. Be, Be more mindful around communication and Back to the less is more, make sure you're not going in and you're talking about, you know, five different topics in one conversation, just mm-hmm. to be honest and open, you know, be really uh, structured around it. So if I'm talking about a problem we had the other day with our, with sex we had, then let's make it be about that and let the intention be maybe my intention is to share my feelings or to figure out how we can improve this, but be specific. If we go in going, I don't know what I want out of this. I just need to get it off my chest. Then maybe that is your intention, but, but make sure that's clear to your partner. So they know that there's also not something they're trying to figure out this big mystery or puzzle and all these things you're sharing, but they know that it's just about kind of listening and let you letting you vent a bit or whatever your intention is there. So that that's definitely, I do agree with you. And I think it, it should have some level of structure to it. Otherwise it's just both of you are going to get lost and, and stuck and that's not helpful. Yeah. Way. You get caught up in the criticism or the things that need to change when you're just like blurting stuff out. And then there's just no, what you said as structure. Um, not that this happens every single time, but it was just, a, it was just a question. <laughs> um, are there any signs like maybe early on in a relationship that could show you that you and your partner might need a little help um, communicating about sex and before it becomes a bigger issue? Mm-hmm. Well, if you notice that every time you have a communication around sex, it leads to a conflict or hurt feelings, or if you notice resentment building up, these are very sure tell signs that you might need some help navigating through this, especially resentment. I see that build over time and it can become a hard wall to remove. So if you notice those feelings building up, creating distance between you and a partner, then obviously I would recommend getting some help. And not to be ashamed around that. I mean, I've worked with people that have been dating one week that have come into couples therapy and other people that have been married for, you know, 30 plus years. So it doesn't matter how long you've been in a relationship. I think it's better to address these things head on and to think of it as skill building, whether or not that relationship works this week long, you know, affair you're having, or it's more long term, you're going to have those skills and be able to use them in any relationship. So it's going to be useful regardless 
But, uh, you know, again, the patterns you want to look out for are we're just always at gridlock. We can't come to any agreement or solution. Or we, we end up, you know, always getting in conflict when we're talking and now we, we're avoiding communication or we're not having sex as a result or we're withholding sex as a way to punish our partners. I see that come up too. That can be a result of just communication issues. So uh, definitely if any of those signs are happening in your relationship, feel free to reach out and get some help. We've touched on it a little bit and I really want to dive deeper into it. Um, <laughs> But asking for what you want. I know that personally, this has been something that was really difficult for me. Um, Just, I guess, feeling shameful, feeling like scared to ask. And so I'm wondering if you have specific tips on how to start asking for what you want if you truly just don't feel comfortable doing it. Right. Well, first you have to know what you want. And that's such a common thing. We may know what we want, but we may not actually affirm that it's okay for us to want that. Mm -hmm. For example, if we want a lot of sex, especially as women, and we feel maybe shame around that because we, you know, we're told that, you know, women shouldn't be libidinous. We shouldn't want sex a lot. Sometimes it's important to just say it out loud. I want sex. I like sex. I enjoy it. I think a lot of the times I think we want to communicate these things to someone else, but we've never actually communicated it to ourselves. We've never said it out loud or really claimed it. Mm -hmm. So that's going to make it a lot more difficult to communicate to someone else. So find, again, finding your language, actually saying it out loud. And I have a lot of my clients do that in the sessions and they, again, they get really embarrassed, but then after they do it, there's a relief and they feel such a sense of knowing and relief that they've actually claimed that and they they feel good about it and there's no shame attached to it so I think that's definitely a first way to start with it and also don't be embarrassed if you don't know what you want that's such a common thing around sex is I don't know what I want but I always tell people that's a great place to start because we can only figure it out from there and we don't always know Mm-hmm. So that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. How do you start to figure that out? Because I know that's something that personally I struggle with is my partner is super giving. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word, but like he would truly do whatever I asked. Um, but sometimes I just literally don't know what I want. I don't know if it's like a lack of experience or what, but I just don't like, I know I want to ask for something. I just literally don't know what to ask for. Is there a book on that? (laughs) You know, I highly, highly recommend. I'm very pro masturbation. And I really think people need to have a love affair with their own body first, because if we're going to be able to communicate to a partner what we really like and want, and we haven't navigated and explored our own bodies, then it's going to feel very awkward. We're going to say, well, I don't know. Well, he's going to touch me there. Do I like that? You need to touch yourself there. You need to really explore your body. And and that includes your anatomy, knowing how things work. I mean, I encourage people to really get in to their body exploration. And that's everything from, (laughs) you know, even tasting your own fluids, really looking at your body in the mirror, you know, really checking out all of these parts so that there's no shame or embarrassment around it. We have all these fears of around our smell and do I taste good and do I look okay? And is my partner going to enjoy that? And to me, that says maybe you haven't done that work first to really explore your own body and get over that shame around your own body and sexuality first. And I think that makes it so much easier to communicate to a partner what you like. 
And if you do that body exploration, you may be surprised what you find out. So you may, you may find that, you know, I'm not really into a lot of genital stimulation, but what really turns me on is, you know, when my hair is played with or the back my lower back is touched or caressed. So there's so many different areas that can stimulate a lot of sensation. And so that's why we have to do that work first. Otherwise, we're going to assume that, well, I think I like manual sex or I should like oral sex, but it doesn't work for everyone. So we want to not assume that just because those things have been identified as sexually exciting or arousing that they're going to work for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I definitely haven't done a lot of that exploration and I'm not going to lie. I got really red when you said taste your own fluids. Like it, that made yes. my heart like get real I nervous. Know. People get nervous, but there's, you know, we, we think of it as dirty and gross and ew. You it's know, something it, it's I've been really worried not. about. It's natural. Mm-hmm. It's a part yeah. of our body. And even if it's just smelling your own fluids to say, you know, we have natural musks. We don't smell bad. That and feels like do, a good maybe start. Maybe there's a problem that we can address, but it's not a, it shouldn't be something we're afraid of. Yeah, I've never heard anybody say that. So I love that you said <laughs> yeah, it. Like, I, I love it so much. I'm going to have to work my way up to it, yeah. though. I'm going to be honest. And to be honest, a lot of women love their own scent. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, that's a, a kind of a pleasant surprise you find of, ooh, I actually like the way I smell and Make taste. Make that into so. a perfume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just beet red over here. <laughs> But I love having these conversations because it's making it normal. It's making it normal to explore your own body. It's just so much reinforcement that like touching yourself, being like intimate with yourself is such a great first step, first like pathway to knowing what you want. And I mean, necessary. Yeah. Necessary pathway journey pro-masturbation and talk about it as often as I can. (laughs) Exactly. And then, so also you brought up trying mutual masturbation with your partner. So when you're wanting to try like new things like that in the bedroom or anything else, how would you bring that up? What's a good way to start talking about trying new things? Actually, I would just say exactly that. I want to try some new things. Here are some of the things I'm interested in. What are your thoughts on that? So Mm -hmm. get your partner's perspective. And remember, they might be a little bit shocked because you're not used to having these conversations. But the more you have them, the easier it gets. And be open to your partner's, again, their their Mm -hmm. feedback. If they say, oh, I don't know, I'm not into that, try to compromise and find a middle ground. Remember that it doesn't have to always be that but you can take those stepping stones to get there. So if your partner says, oh, I don't know about that, but I am open to you know exploring in this way, there's so many different ways to engage. So don't worry if that one thing doesn't work, move on to something that does, but continue to find and negotiate to find something you can both be interested in. Because mutual pleasure is actually the best form of connection for sex. So if you're doing something just because you feel like you have to, or because your partner said they wanted to do it, and you're feeling awkward while you're doing it, it's not going to be enjoyable. And it's probably not going to help the motivation to want to do that again, which is Mm -hmm. such a big part of the desire equation. You know, desire isn't just a switch that goes on. It's really about reward and motivation. So if we do something that feels good, we're more more likely going to want to do it again. So that's why I really encourage finding something that you can both enjoy. Definitely. So on that note, to get personal once again, (laughs) I know that for me, so there have been times when I have tried something new. Like we didn't, we've like, we didn't really talk about it. It wasn't like a huge thing. I didn't just like, you know, all of a sudden bring up butt plug and be like, here, (laughs) without any 
talk Warning. first. Um, but I'll do something new and then my partner will say like, I didn't like that or that wasn't for me. And I, I obviously want them to be able to voice those concerns. I also know that in that moment, I feel so much shame and my feelings are so hurt that I like don't want to keep going. Then I'm kind of like out of the mood and I feel like, like sometimes I even tear up because I just feel so shitty and sad. <laughs> but I think it's like for coming from a place of embarrassment. So I'm wondering if you have any tips for me <laughs> and, and anybody else going pay you later. <laughs> That's why I mentioned the ego because we all have an ego and I don't think it's a, a negative thing that we, you know, blame the ego, but the ego is sensitive. So obviously if we're getting feedback of someone not liking something, we feel personally responsible. Mm -hmm. But I would say personally remember victimized. you're not personally responsible for your partner not enjoying something. If we can reframe that as my partner saying he doesn't enjoy something is actually positive feedback and it helps us actually design something that does work better for us, it helps reduce that shame and embarrassment. I think we don't want to, again, don't feel responsible because your partner didn't like something. There's going to be a lot of things that either you or him doesn't like throughout sex and that's the learning process and it helps you get more specific around things that do work for the both of you. So I would just, you know, invite it in, invite it in, invite feedback in. I always, you know, do that even with my partner. I'll say, tell me what worked, what didn't work, mm -hmm. what should we do a little different? You know, it's always about looking at that feedback as a way to strengthen the relationship rather than I did something wrong and I'm not good enough. You know, we don't want to go down that path because that's just, you know, sex is going to be full of feedback and we need to get used to it. We need to build a tolerance for feedback around sex. Otherwise, we're never going to move forward. Yeah, 100%. I think I need to not take things personally, both sexually and in the rest of my life. So <laughs> well, it something can be, to work on. It can be hard when you feel like you're putting, you're being like vulnerable by trying something yes. new and that's when your feelings can get most hurt. But you're also trying it for your partner. And so that's definitely something that I like. I agree with you working on because you're, if you're doing it for them, hearing what they need to say back to you is going to help. But I totally am with you with like, I tried this for you. <laughs> this was for you, yeah. asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and you telling me, I'm, you're welcome. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I completely How agree. How dare you politely tell me you yeah. didn't like that? <laughs> completely. When I'm you're not right. nice about when I don't like something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And actually the flip side is they can give you no feedback and end up yeah. internalizing mm -hmm. that. Wow, that was terrible. You know, you don't want that. You want there to be open permission to say these things. And I think partners also need to build their tolerance. You know, mm -hmm. just remember your partner probably has just as sensitive as an ego. And so if you can both just get, encourage each other to talk about these things, it, it becomes a lot easier and you, you'll end up kind of laughing about it later on rather than feeling that, you know, I'm not good enough. And that's really what the belief is that gets activated when we hear feedback, because we, we've never been encouraged to give feedback around mm -hmm. sex. I mean, how often have you seen porn or any movie with sex where partners are actually giving each other feedback? <laughs> Everything looks so perfect in movies where, wow, it just kind of works and they, the music and the bodies look great. I mean, that's just not how sex is. Right. It's not real to any extent. I would love to see some porn with feedback. <laughs> really? Me too. I really think we need someone to make that. Who could we call? This is a PSA. <laughs> I designed this for us. It'll help the entire world. Oh my God, I love that. Want to save the world? Make porn with feedback. Porn with feedback. They have like a really emotional, healthy conversation at the yeah, end. Yeah, it'd be beautiful. <laughs> Naked, of course. Naked, right? yes. <laughs> Wiener out because that's how you're vulnerable. That's how you're vulnerable. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. I love that. 
Well, it sounds like it's time for Homework for Honeys. Where we like to talk about one actionable step that we can all take to start incorporating what we learned today. So Dr. Chavez, would you do the honor of assigning our homework for today? Yes, I would love the homework to be back to what I mentioned around having a love affair with your body. So I would say the big takeaway is to make a date with yourself and really, you know, take yourself out, whether that means, uh, you know, making a playlist, enjoying your body, you know, making self-pleasure something that you can celebrate and do, uh, you know, do something different. Instead of it just being your regular routine, do something that really honors your body, that makes you feel good about your body, that can boost confidence, and and don't rush through it. Make it something that you can enjoy and, and savor. Beautiful. And I will today. <laughs> I think that's I'll be wonderful. checking in on yeah. you with feedback. So I love <laughs> holding that. you to it. Beautiful. We'll do our homework. Yeah, we promise. We promise. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you so so much. Thank you. Oh, and where can our listeners connect with you? Yes, so you can find me on social media at Dr. Shannon Chavez or my website, drshannonchavez.com. And for anyone interested in services, I do offer a complimentary phone consult. If you have any questions or you need some resources or find out what would be the best fit for you, and you can do all that through my website. And do you do remote sessions? I do. So as of now, everything's virtual. So I do virtual video sessions, phone sessions, and even email Q&As. If you just have a question and you need an answer, that's also available through the website. So Amazing. Uh, all like- questions are good questions when it comes to sex. You're going to have two new clients that sound a lot like us the next week <laughs> <laughs> calling in. Happy to help. <laughs> All right, fuckers. <laughs> anyway, oh, thank you so much to Dr. Shannon Chavez for putting up with us, for fucking putting up with us, but answering all of these amazing questions. Please. <laughs> We were just so good. We asked such Such, phenomenal questions. Someone, I should just write everyone's everything from now on. So thank you you for, you know, just being in my presence. Thank you for allowing me to honor you (laughs) with my presence. How I feel. Anyway. Thank you so much to Dr. Chavez for being on the episode today and talking about talking. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in, even though I called you guys fuckers like five times just now. (laughs) It's endearing. Yep. And if you have a few minutes, as always, we would so appreciate it. (laughs) If you could head over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. When you do those things, it helps us get out to other people. And the more people, the better, because then we'll get rich and famous. That's the dream. (laughs) That's my dream boat right there. But again, as always, we believe in this information so much. We think it's valuable. So if you have somebody in your life that you think would benefit from this information, (laughs) please share this episode with them. And if you don't get enough of us from our weekly episode, go ahead and sign up for our email list. You can sign up at the link in our bio on Instagram at Podcast, or you can go to our website, honeydoomepodcast.com and sign up for our email list there. You're going to get our 10 favorite sex things and different things in the future. (laughs) And you'll get a weekly email from me. I think that's it. (laughs) We'll see you next week. (laughs) 